Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. Hello, everybody. I'm Julie, and here we have episode 264 of Forgotten Classics. Finally, almost done. Almost through with the adventure for the people of the mist by H. Ryder Haggard. Oh, man. He has saved the best for last. Wait till you hear what we've got today. But first, I told you that I had been trying to figure out what we would read after this. Well, right after this, we're going to be hearing some short stories. I'm going to be ramping up to Halloween. I have been promised a reading of The Judge's House by Bram Stoker, which is one of my favorite short stories and very spooky. We'll see if that happens. You know, we all have real lives and um, not a lot of time sometimes, but fingers crossed on that one. And I have found several other wonderful stories to read you. Some of them are samples of books that are current and you can get right now. Some of them are out of copyright and you don't even have to buy them. Most of them. (laughs) Anyway, those are just in between books, right? What will I read next? I'd been mentioning Kidnapped, which I have not forgotten and do want to read. I'd mentioned Northanger Abbey, which I again have not forgotten and do want to read. But our own Gail, who I love so much already, okay, just for being Gail, but also because she tracked down Barry Hugart and got permission for us to read The Bridge of Birds a while back. She did me another huge favor. Well, she did all of us a huge favor and tracked down Christina Hardiment. So I've got permission now to read a book called Heidi's Alp, One Family's Search for Storybook Europe. I love this book. I've read it three or four times. There is something about this lady's writing that just takes you along with them. And essentially, she got the idea that the family needed to do something more together than just hanging around the house. And they got a little camper. In fact, in the UK, campers are called caravans. And the British name of this was the Canary Colored Caravan. For us, we've got to have something a little bit more basic. Heidi's Alp. Anyway, and so what they did is, because they're British... They're able to get to Europe pretty easily, and they started taking family vacations and, in fact, a very long trip and going to the locations of all these different wonderful fairy tales and children's books. I will read you just a touch of the back of the book. Their route took them across 4,000 miles and through six countries, from breathtaking gorge to fairy tale castle, from silver mine to haunted wood. They explored Hans Brinker's Holland, pursued Hans Christian Andersen through Denmark and Germany, and pondered Hamlin's Pied Piper. Lost in East Germany, searching for witches, they wandered into the Forbidden Zone around a top-secret military base. Climbing Heidi's Alp, they found their own alm uncle. They tracked Pinocchio in Tuscany, followed William Tell to Lake Lucerne, and relaxed with Babar in Burgundy. Heidi's Alp is an original and highly entertaining adventure, and I can vouch for that since I'm so excited to read this to you. It is, to me, like the perfect example of, well, kind of what we do here, right? We love books, and when you love them so much, you take them into your real life and they become part of who you are. These people went looking for the place where those books were imagined and written, and in some cases came from, and nobody knows the genesis of them. Also, this is the first place I ever heard of Legoland from. It's from 1987, and one of the first places they go is Legoland. And I still remember reading this and thinking, what? I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I mean, I could because, you know, she describes it really well, but at the same time I was going... Would people want to go to a place like that? That's very interesting sounding. Well, now it's so much later. We've had the Lego movie and the idea of Legoland and building all kinds of things from Legos is very commonplace. Anyway, back to the book. As you can tell, I'm very excited about it. 
And so I wanted to give you a heads up. That will all probably start in November, after Halloween. But I just wanted to give you a chance to really enjoy the anticipation. All right. Back down to Earth. (laughs) Well, as much back down to Earth as we can get with H. Ryder Haggard, which really isn't that far down to Earth, is it? This is a fantastic adventure. And wow, these chapters coming up, I, wow, love them so much. They are the very reason I chose to read this book to you. So I hope I can come close to doing them justice. When we left our intrepid group of adventurers, they were at the edge of an icy precipice with Nam, who I don't believe for a moment was so worn out that he couldn't walk without his hands being untied. We know that's a bad idea. So it disappeared, but we know she's lurking around somewhere, right? Because these two just are insane and they never, ever stop. So that's where we are. Oh man, get ready. When I say roller coaster, I am not freaking kidding. We are talking real, actual, pre-roller coaster roller coaster here. Get ready for the ride of your lives. Let's dive in, and I'll meet you on the other side. The People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard. Chapter 38. The Triumph of Nam. Which way are we to go now? said Juana. Must we climb down this great gulf? No, shepherdess, answered Otter. See, before you is a bridge. And he pointed to the band of ice and rock which traversed the wide ravine. A bridge? gasped Juana. Why, it is as slippery as a slide and steep as the side of a house. A fly could not keep its footing on it. Look here, Otter, put in Leonard. Either you are joking or you are mad. How can we cross that place? We should be dashed to pieces before we had gone ten yards. Thus, Bas, we must sit each one of us on one of the flat stones that lie round here. Then the stone will take us across of itself. I know, for I have tried it. Do you mean to tell me that you have been over there on a rock? No, boss, but I have sent three stones over. Two crossed safely. I watched them go the whole way, and one vanished in the middle. I think that there is a hole there, but we must risk that. If the stone is heavy enough, it will jump it. If not... Then we shall go down the hole and be no more troubled. Great heavens, said Leonard, wiping his forehead with the back of his hand. This is practical tobogganing with a vengeance. Is there no other way? I can see none, Bas, except for the birds, and I think we had better stop talking and make ready, for the priests are still behind us. If you will watch on the neck here so we are not surprised, I will seek stones to carry us. How about this man? said Leonard, pointing to Nam, who lay face downwards on the snow, apparently in a dead faint. Oh, we must keep him a while, Bas. He may be useful if those priests come. If not, I will talk with him before we start. He is asleep and cannot run away. Then Leonard went to the top of the neck, which was distant some twenty yards, and Otter began to search for stones suitable to his purpose. As for Juana, she turned her back to the ice bridge, at which she scarcely dared to look, and sat herself upon a rock. In doing so, the jewels in the bag struck against her knee and jingled, and the thought came into her mind that she would examine them while she waited partly because she desired to distract her thoughts from the vision of this new and terrible ordeal which lay before her, and partly to gratify a not unnatural curiosity. Opening the mouth of the bag, she thrust her fingers into it, and one by one drew out the biggest gems which were jumbled together there, placing them on the rock beside her. 
In less than a minute, she was feasting her eyes upon such a collection of priceless jewels as had never before gladdened the sight of any white woman, even in her wildest dreams. Indeed, till now Juana had not thought it possible that stones so splendid could exist on the hither side of the walls of heaven. First there were great sapphires roughly squared, and two enormous round star rubies. These had formed the eyes of the Colossus, which were removed on the morrow of their arrival, the star rubies representing the blood-red pupils. Then there was a heart-shaped ruby of perfect color and without flaw, almost as large as a jackdaw's egg, which on the days of sacrifice had adorned the breasts of the chief priests of the people of the mist for many generations. Next came the greatest wonders of this treasure— two marvelous stones, one a sapphire and one a ruby, fashioned respectively into models of the statue of the dwarf and of the hideous shape of the water-dweller. Then there were others, dozens of them, some rudely cut and polished, and some as they came from the earth, but every one of them singled out for its remarkable size and flawlessness or its perfect fire and beauty. Juana arranged them in rows and stared at them with ecstasy. Where is the woman who would not have done so? Till in contemplating them she even forgot the present terrors of her position. Forgot everything except the gorgeous loveliness and infinite value of the wealth of gems which she had been the means of winning for Leonard. Among other things that passed from her mind at this moment was the presence of of Nam, who, overcome by rage and exhaustion, lay in a seeming faint upon the snow within twelve paces of her. She never saw him lift his head and look at her with an expression as cold and cruel as that which Otter had seen in the eyes of the water-dweller when he had lifted his head from its bed of rock. She never saw him roll slowly over and over across the snow toward her, pausing a while between each turn of his body, for now she was occupied in replacing the jewels one by one into their bag of leather. At last all were in, and with a sigh, for it was sad to lose sight of objects so beautiful, Juana drew the mouth of the bag tight and prepared to place it round her neck. At this moment it was that a hand, withered and lean with age, passed beneath her eyes, and swiftly as the snatch of an eagle's talon seized the bag and rent it from her grasp, she sprang up with a cry of dismay, and well might she be dismayed, for there, running from her with incredible speed, was Nam, the jewels in his hand. Otter and Leonard heard her cry, and thinking that the priest was escaping, sped to cut him off. But he had no idea of escape, at least not of such escape as they expected. Some forty yards from where Juana had been sitting, a little promontory of rock jutted out over the unclimbable gulf below them and toward this spot Nam directed his steps. Running along the ridge, he halted at its end. Indeed, he must do, unless he would fall a thousand feet or more to the bottom of the ravine beneath. Then he turned and faced his pursuers, who by now had reached the edge of the cliff. "'Come one step closer,' he cried, "'and I let this bag fall, whence you shall never recover it. For no foot can tread these walls of rock, and there is water at the bottom of this gulf. Leonard and Otter stopped, trembling for the fate of the jewels. Listen, deliverer, cried Nam. You came to this land to seek these trinkets, is it not so? And now you have found them and would be gone with them? But before you go, you wish to kill me for vengeance sake, because I have shown you to be cheats and have sought to offer you up to those gods whom you have blasphemed. But the red stones you desire are in my hand, and if I unclasp my fingers, they will be lost to you and all the world forever. Say now, if I bring them back to you in safety, will you swear to give me my life and suffer me to go my way in peace? Yes, we will swear it, answered Leonard, who could not conceal the anguish of his anxiety. Come back, Nam, and you shall depart unharmed. But if you let the stones fall, then you shall follow them. You swear it, said the priest contemptuously. You are come to this, 
that you will sacrifice your revenge to satisfy your greed, O white man, with a noble heart. Now I will outdo you, for I, who am not noble, will sacrifice my life to disappoint you of your desires. What? Shall the ancient holy treasure of the people of the mist be stolen by two white thieves and their black hound? Never! I would have killed you all had the time been granted to me. But in that I failed, and I am glad that I have failed, for now I will deal you a bitterer blow than any death. May the curse of Jal and Akka cleave to you, you dogs without a kennel. May you live outcasts and die in the dirt, and may your fathers and your mothers and your children spit upon your bones as I do. Farewell. And shaking his disengaged hand at them, he spat toward them. Then, with a sudden motion, Nam hurled himself backwards off the point of rock and vanished into space, bearing the treasure with him. For a while, the three stood aghast and stared at each other, and the point of rock which had been occupied by the venerable form of the late high priest. Then Juana sank upon the snow, sobbing. It is my fault, she wailed. Oh, my fault! Just now I was boasting to myself that I had won wealth for you, and I have lost everything, and we have suffered for nothing in Leonard. You are a beggar. Oh, it is too much, too much. Go out there, Otter, said Leonard in a hoarse voice, pointing to the place where Nam had hurled himself, and see whether there is any chance of our being able to climb down into the gulf. The dwarf obeyed, and presently returned, shaking his head. It is impossible, boss, he said. Two walls of rock are sheer as though they had been cut with a knife. Moreover, there is water at the bottom of them, as the old wizard said, for I can hear the sound of it. Oh, Baz, Baz, why did you not kill him at first? Or let me kill him afterward? Surely I told you that he would bring evil on us. Well, they are gone, and we can never find them again. So let us save our lives if we may, for after all, these are more to us than bright stones. Come now and help me, Bass, for I have found two flat rocks that will serve our turn, a big one for you and the shepherdess, since doubtless she will fear to make this journey alone, and a small one for myself. Leonard followed him without a word. He was too heartbroken to speak while Juana rose and returned to the spot where Nam had robbed her. Looking up presently, her eyes still blurred with tears, she saw Leonard and the dwarf laboriously pushing two heavy stones across the snow toward her. Come, do not cry, Juana, said Leonard, ceasing from his labors and laying his hand kindly upon her shoulder. They are gone, and there is an end of it. Now we must think of other things. Oh, she answered. If only you had seen them, you would never stop crying all your life. Then I dare say that the fit will be a short one, replied Leonard grimly, glancing at the awful bridge which stretched between them and safety. Listen, Juana, you and I must lie upon this stone, and it will, so says Otter, carry us across to the other side of the ravine. I cannot, I cannot, she gasped. I shall faint and fall off. I am sure that I shall. But you must, Juana, answered Leonard. At least you must choose between this and returning to the city of the mist. I will come, she said. I know that I shall be killed, but it is better than going back to those horrible priests. And, besides, it does not matter now that I have lost the jewels. Jewels are not everything, Juana. Listen, shepherdess, put in Otter. The thing is easy, though it looks difficult. All that you have to do is shut your eyes and lie still. This stone will carry you over. I am not afraid. I will go first to show you the way, and where a black dwarf can pass, there you white people, who are so much braver, can follow. 
But before I start, I will tie you and the deliverer together with my cord so you feel safer. Then Otter dragged both stones to the very verge of the incline, and having passed the rope about the waists of Juana and Leonard, he prepared himself for the journey. Thou deliverer, he said, when I am safe across, all that you must do is to lie flat upon the stone, both of you, and push a little with the spear. Then, before you know it, you will be by my side. All right, said Leonard doubtfully. Well, I suppose you'd better start. Waiting won't make the matter any easier. Yes, boss, I will go now. Huh, little did I think I should ever be forced to take such a ride as this. Well, it will be something to make songs about afterwards. And Otter laid himself face downwards on the stone with a little laugh, though Leonard noticed that however brave his spirit might be, he could not prevent his flesh from revealing its natural weakness, for it quivered pitifully. Now, boss, he said, gripping the edges of the stone with his large hands, when I give the word, do you push gently, and then you will see how a black bird can fly. Put your head lower, boss. Leonard obeyed, and the dwarf whispered in his ear, I only want to say, boss, in case we should not meet again, for accidents will happen even on the safest roads. I am sorry I made such a pig of myself yonder. It was so dull down there in that hole of a palace, and the fog made me see all things wrong. Moreover, drink and a wife have corrupted many a better man. Don't answer, boss, but start me, for I am growing afraid. Placing his hand at the back of the stone, Leonard gave it a slight push. It began to move very slowly at first, then more fast and faster yet, till it was rushing over the smooth ice pathway with a whirring sound like that produced by the flight of a bird. Presently it had reached the bottom of the first long slope and was climbing the gentle rise opposite, but so slowly that for a while Leonard thought it was going to stop. It crossed its brow, however, and vanished for a few seconds into a dip where the watchers could not see it. Then it appeared again at the head of the second and longest slope, of which the angle was very steep. Down this the stone rushed like an arrow from a bow, till it reached the narrow waist of the bridge, whereof the general confirmation bore some resemblance to that of a dead wasp lying on its back. Indeed, from where Leonard and Juana stood, the span of ice at this point seemed to be no thicker than a silver thread, while Otter and the stone might have been a fly upon the thread. Now of a sudden, Leonard distinctly saw the rock sledge and its living burden, which just then was traveling its swiftest, move upward as though it had leaped into the air, and then continue its course along the rising place which represented the throat of the wasp, till at length it stopped. Leonard looked at his watch. The time occupied by the transit was just fifty seconds, and the distance could not have been much less than half a mile. See, he cried to Juana, who all this while had sat with her hand before her eyes to shut out the vision of the dwarf's dreadful progress. He has passed safely. And he pointed to a figure that appeared to be dancing with glee upon the breast of the snow slope. As he spoke, a faint sound reached their ears, for in those immense silences sound can travel far. It was Otter shouting, and his words seemed to be, Come on, boss, it is easy. I am glad he is safe, said Juana faintly. But now we must follow him. Take my handkerchief, Leonard, and tie it over my eyes, please, for I cannot bear to look. The idol's head was nothing to this. Leonard obeyed bidding her not to be afraid. Oh, but I am terribly afraid, she said. I was never so much frightened in all my life, and I, I have lost the jewels. Leonard, do forgive me for behaving so badly to you. I know that I have behaved badly in many ways, though I have been too proud to admit it before. But now, when I am going to die, I want to beg your pardon. I hope you will think kindly of me, Leonard, when I am dead, for I do love you with all my heart. <laughs> Indeed, I do. 
and tears began to roll down beneath the bandage. Dearest, he answered, kissing her tenderly. As we are tied together, it seems that if you die, I must die too. Do not break down now after you have borne so much. It is the jewels, she sobbed. The jewels, I feel as though I had committed a murder. Oh, bother the jewels, said Leonard. We can think about them afterwards. And he advanced toward the flat stone, Juana feeling the while as though they were two of Carrier's victims about to know the marriage of the Loire. As they came to the stone, Leonard heard a sound behind him, a sound of footsteps muffled by the snow, and glancing round he saw Soa rushing toward them, almost naked, a spear wound in her side and the light of madness shining in her eyes. Get back, he said sternly, or, and he lifted the great spear. Oh, shepherdess, she wailed. Take me with you, shepherdess, for I cannot live without you. Tell her to go away, said Juana, recognizing the voice. I never want to see her any more. You hear, Soa, answered Leonard. Stay. How has it gone, yonder? Speak truly. I know not, deliverer. When I left, Ulfan and his brothers still held the mouth of the tunnel and were unhurt. But the captain was dead. I slipped past them and got this as I went. And she pointed to the gash in her side. If he can hold out a little longer, help me reach him, muttered Leonard. Then, without more words, he laid Juana and himself face downwards on the broad stone. Now, Juana, he said, we're going to start. Grip fast with your right hand and see that you do not leave go of the edge of the stone, or we shall both slip off it. Oh, take me with you, shepherdess, take me with you, and I will be wicked no more, but serve you as of old, shrilled the voice of Soa in so despairing a cry that the rocks rang. Hold fast, said Leonard through his set teeth as, disengaging his right hand from about Juana's waist, he seized the handle of the spear and pressed its broad blade against a knob of rock behind them. Now the stone, that was balanced on the very verge of the declivity, trembled beneath them, and now, slowly and majestically as a vessel starting from her slips when the launching cord is severed, it began to move down the icy way. For the first second, it scarcely seemed to stir. Then the motion grew palpable, and at that instant Leonard heard a noise behind him and felt his left foot clasped by a human hand. There was a jerk that nearly dragged them off their sledge, but he held fast to the front edge of the stone, and though he could still feel the hand upon his ankle, the strain became almost imperceptible. Chapter 39 The Passing of the Bridge Lifting his head very cautiously, Leonard looked over his shoulder, and the mystery was explained. In her madness and the fury of her love for the mistress whom she had outraged and betrayed, Soa had striven to throw herself upon the stone with him so soon as she saw it commence to move. She was too late and feeling herself slipping forward, she grasped despairingly at the first thing that came to her hand, which chanced to be Leonard's ankle. Now she must accompany them upon their awesome journey, only while they rode upon the stone she was dragged after them upon her breast. A flash of pity passed through Leonard's brain as he realized her fearful plight, then for a while he forgot all about her, since his attention was amply occupied with his own and Juana's peril. Now they were rushing down the long slope with an ever-increasing velocity, and now they breasted the first rise, during the last ten yards of which, as in the case of Otter, the pace of the stone slowed down so much in proportion to the progressive exhaustion of its momentum that Leonard thought they were coming to a standstill. Then it was that he kicked out viciously, striving to free himself from the weight of Soa, which threatened to bring them to a common ruin. But she clung to him like ivy to a tree, and he desisted from his efforts, fearing lest he should cause their sledge to alter its course. On the very top of the rise the motion of the stone decreased almost to nothingness. 
then little by little increased once more as they traversed a short, sharp dip, the same in which they had lost sight of Otter, to be succeeded by a gentle rise. So far, though exciting and novel, their journey had been comparatively safe, for the path was broad and the ice perfectly smooth. Its terrors were to come. Looking forward, Leonard saw they were at the commencement of a decline measuring four or five hundred yards in length, and so steep that even had it offered a good foothold, human beings could scarcely have stood upon it. As yet the tongue of ice was fifty paces or more in width, but it narrowed rapidly as it fell, till at length near the opposite shore of the ravine it find a way to a point like that of a great white needle, and then seemed to break off altogether. Now they were well under way, and now they sped down the steep green ice at a pace that can hardly be imagined, though perhaps it is sometimes equaled by an eagle rushing on its quarry from some vast height of air. Indeed, it is possible that the sensations of an eagle making his headlong descent and those of Leonard may have been very similar, with the important exception that the bird feels no fear, whereas absolute terror are the only words wherewith to describe the mental state of the man. So smooth was the ice, and so precipitous its pitch, that he felt as though he were falling through space unsupported by anything, for travelling at that speed— the friction of the stone was imperceptible. Only the air shrieked as they clove it, and Juana's long tresses, torn by it from their fastenings, streamed out behind her like a veil. Down they went, still down, half. Two-thirds of the distance was done. Then he looked again and saw the horror that lay before them. Already the bridge was narrow, barely the width of a small room. Sixty yards further on it tapered to so fine a point that their stone would almost cover its breadth, and beneath it, on either side, yawned that unmeasured gulf wherein Nam was lost with the jewels. Nor was this all, for at its narrowest the ice band was broken away for a space of ten or twelve feet, to continue on the further side of the gap for a few yards at a somewhat lower level, and then run upwards at a steep incline to the breast of the snow where Otter sat in safety. On they whizzed, ice beneath them and before them, and ice in Leonard's heart, for he was frozen with fear. His breath had left him because of the rush of their progress, but his senses remained painfully acute. Involuntarily he glanced over the edge of the stone, saw the sheer depths below him, and found himself wondering what was the law that kept their sledge upon this ribbon of ice when it seemed so easy for it to whirl off into space. Now the gap was immediately in front of them. "'God help us,' he murmured, or rather thought, for there was no time for words, and they had left the road of ice and were flying through the air as though the stone which carried them were a living thing, that seeing the peril had gathered up its energies and sprung forward for its life. What happened? Leonard never knew for certain, and Otter swore that his heart leaped from his bosom and stood in front of his eyes so that he could not see. Before they touched the further point of the ice— while they were in the air, indeed, they, or rather Leonard, heard a hideous scream and felt a jerk so violent that his hold of the stone was loosened and it passed from beneath them. Then came a shock, less heavy than might have been expected, and lo, they were spinning onwards down the polished surface of the ice, while the stone which had borne them so far sped on in front like a horse that has thrown its rider— Leonard felt the rubbing of the ice burn him like hot iron. He felt also that his ankle was freed from the hand that had held it. Then, for some minutes, he knew no more, for his senses left him. When they returned, it was to hear the voice of Otter crying, "'Lie still, lie still, Bass. Do not stir for your life. I come.' Instantly he was wide awake, and moving his head ever so little saw their situation." Then he wished that he had remained asleep, for it was this. The impetus of their rush had carried them almost to the line where the ice stopped, and the rock and snow began, within some fifteen feet of it indeed. 
but those fifteen feet were of the smoothest ice and very sheer, so smooth and sheer that no man could hope to climb them. Below them the slope continued for about thirteen or fourteen yards, till it met the corresponding incline that led to the gap in the bridge. On this surface of ice they were lying spread-eagled. For a moment Leonard wondered how it was they did not slide back to the bottom of the slope, there to remain till they perished, for without ropes and proper implements no human could scale it. Then he saw that a chance had befallen them, which in after days he was wont to attribute to the direct intervention of Providence. It will be remembered that when they started Leonard had pushed the rock off with a spear which Olfan had given them. This spear he drew in again as they began to move, placing it between his chest and the stone, for he thought that it might be of service to him should they succeed in crossing the gulf. When they were jerked from the sledge and left to slide along the ice on the further side of the gap, in obedience to the impetus given to them by the frightful speed at which they were traveling, the spear, obeying the same laws of motion, accompanied them, but being of a less specific gravity lagged behind in the race, just as the stone which was heaviest outstripped them. As it happened, near the top of the rise there was a fissure in the ice, and in this fissure the weapon had become fixed, its weighted blade causing it to assume an upright position. When the senseless bodies of Leonard and Juana had slid as far up the slope as the upended energy of their impetus would allow, naturally enough they began to move back again in accordance with the laws of gravity. Then it was, as luck would have it, that the spear fixed in the crevice of the ice saved them from destruction, for it chanced that the descent of their two forms passing on either side of it was checked by the handle of the weapon, which caught the hide rope whereby they were bound together. All of this Leonard took in by degrees. Also, he discovered that Juana was either dead or senseless. At the time, he could not tell which. "'What are you going to do?' he asked of Otter, who by now was on the verge of the ice fifteen feet above them. "'Cut steps and pull you up, boss,' answered the dwarf cheerfully. "'It will not be easy,' said Leonard, glancing over his shoulder at the long slope beneath. "'And if we slip, or the rope breaks—' "'Do not talk of slipping, boss,' replied Otter, as he began to hack at the ice with the priest's heavy knife. And as for the rope, if he was strong enough for the water-dweller to drag me round the pool by, it is strong enough to hold you too, though it has seen somewhere. I only wish I had another such, for then this matter would be simple. Working furiously, Otter hacked at the hard surface of the ice. The first two steps he hollowed from the top of the slope lying on his stomach. After this, Difficulties presented themselves which seemed insuperable, for he could not chip at the ice when he had nothing by which to support himself. "'What is to be done now?' said Leonard. "'Keep cool, boss, and give me time to think.' And for a moment Otter squatted down and was silent. "'I have it,' he said presently, and rising he took off his goat-skin cloak and cut it into strips." each strip measuring about two inches in width by two feet six inches in length. These strips he knotted together firmly, making a serviceable rope of them, long enough to reach to where Leonard and Juana were suspended on the stout handle of the spear. Then he took the stake, which had already done him such good service, and sharpening its point, fixed it as deeply as he could into the snow and earth on the border of the ice belt, and tied the skin rope to it. Now, boss, he said, all is well, for I can begin from the bottom. And without further words, he let himself down till he hung beside them. Is the shepherdess dead, boss? he asked, glancing at Juana's pale face and closed eyes. Or does she only sleep? I think she is in a swoon, answered Leonard. But for heaven's sake, be quick, Otter, for I am being frozen on this ice. What is your plan now? This, boss, to tie about your middle the end of the rope I have made from the cloak, then to undo the cord that binds you and the shepherdess together, and return to the top of the slope. 
Once there, I can pull her up by the hide line, for it is strong, and she will slip easily over the ice, and you can follow. Good, said Leonard. Then hanging by one hand, the dwarf managed, with such assistance as Leonard could give him, to knot beneath Leonard's arms the end of the rope which he had constructed from the skin garment. Next he set to work to untie the hide cord, thereby freeing him from Juana. And now came the most difficult and dangerous part of the task. For Leonard, suspended from the shaft of the spear by one hand, must support Juana's senseless form with the other, while Otter made shift to drag himself to the summit of the ice, holding the hide line in his teeth. The spear bent dreadfully, and Leonard did not dare to put any extra strain upon the roughly fastened cord of goatskin by which the dwarf was hauling himself up the ice, for if it gave, they must all be precipitated to the dip below, there to perish miserably. Faint and frozen as he was, it seemed hours to him before Otter reached the top and called to him to let go of Juana. Leonard obeyed, and seating himself on the snow, his feet supported by the edge of the ice, the dwarf put out his strength and began to pull her up. Strong as he was, it proved as much as he was able to do. Indeed, had Juana lain on any other material than ice, he could not have done it at all. But in the end he succeeded, and with a gasp of gratitude Leonard saw her stretched safe upon the snow. Now Otter, hastily undoing the cord from Juana's waist, made it into a running noose which he threw down to Leonard, who placed it over his shoulders. Having lifted the spear from the cleft in which it stood, he commenced his ascent. His first movements cost him a pang of agony, and no wonder, for the blood from the wounds that had been caused by the friction of his flesh as he was hurled along the surface of the slide had congealed, freezing his limbs to the ice, whence they could not easily be loosened. The pain, sharp as it was, did him good, however, for it aroused his benumbed energies and enabled him to drag on the goatskin cord with all his strength, while Otter tugged at that which was beneath his arms. Well for him it was that the dwarf had taken the precaution of throwing down this second line, for presently Otter's stake, which had no firm hold in the frozen earth, came out and slid away, striking Leonard as it passed and bearing the knotted lengths of the cloak with it. The dwarf cried aloud and bent forward as though he were about to fall. By a fearful effort he recovered himself and held fast the rope in his hand while Leonard, suspended by it, swung to and fro on the surface of the ice like the pendulum of a clock. Then followed the most terrible moments of all their struggle against the difficulties of this merciless place. The dwarf held fast above, and Leonard, ceasing to swing, lay with hands and legs outstretched on the face of the ice. Now, Bas said Otter. Be brave, and when I pull, do you wriggle forward. He tugged till the thin hide rope stretched, while Leonard clawed and kicked at the ice with his toes, knees, and disengaged hand. Alas, it gave no hold. He might as well have tried to climb a dome of plate glass at an angle of sixty degrees. Rest a while, Bas, said the dwarf, whose breath was coming in great sobs. Then make a little nick in the ice with the blade of the spear, and when next I pull, try to set some of your weight upon it. Leonard did as he was bid without speaking. Now, said the dwarf, and with a push and a struggle, Leonard was two feet higher up the incline. Again the process was repeated, and this time he got his left hand into the lowest of the two steps that Otter had hacked with the knife, and once more... They paused for breath. A third effort, the fiercest of them all, a clasping of hands, and he was lying trembling like a frightened child above the glacier's lip. The ordeal was over. That danger was done with. But at what a cost! Leonard's nerves were completely shattered. He could not stand. His face was bleeding, his nails were broken, and the bone of one knee was exposed by the friction of the ice— to say nothing of the shock to the system and the bruises which he had received when he was hurled from the stone. Otter's condition was a little better, but his hands were cut by the rope, 
and he was utterly exhausted with toil and the strain of suspense. Indeed, of the three, Juana had come off by far the best, for she had swooned at the very beginning of the passage of the bridge, and when they were jerked from the stone, being lighter than Leonard, she had fallen upon him. Moreover, the thick goatskin cloak which was wrapped about her had protected her from all hurt beyond a few trifling cuts and bruises. Of their horrible position when they were hanging to the spear, and the rest of the adventure, including the death of Soa, she knew nothing, and it was well for her reason that this was so. Otter, murmured Leonard in a shaking voice, have you lost that gourd of spirit? No, boss, it is safe. Thank heaven, he said. Hold it to my lips if you can. The dwarf lifted it with a trembling hand, and Leonard gulped down the fiery liquor. Ah, that's better, he said. Take some yourself. Nay, Bas, I have sworn to touch drink no more, Otter answered, looking at the gourd longingly. Besides, you and the shepherdess will want it all. I have some food here, and I will eat. What happened to Soa, Otter? I could not see rightly, Bas. I was too frightened, much more frightened than I had been when I rode to stone myself. But I think that her legs caught in the ice on this side of the hole, and so she fell. <laughs> it was a good end for her, the vicious old cow, he added with a touch of satisfaction. It was very near being a bad end for us, answered Leonard, but we would have managed to come out of it alive somehow. Not for all the rubies in the world would I cross that place again. Nor I, boss. Wow, it was awful. Now my stomach went through my head, and now my head through my stomach, and the air was red and green and blue and devils shouted at me out of it. Yes, and when I came to the hole, there I saw the water-dweller, all fashioned in fire, waiting with an open mouth to eat me. It was the drink that made me think of these things, Bas, and that is why I have sworn to touch it no more. Yes, I swore it as I flew through the air and saw the flaming water-dweller beneath me. And now, Bas, I am a little rested, so let us try and wake up the shepherdess and get us gone. Yes, said Leonard. Though I am sure I do not know where we are to go to, it can't be far, for I am nearly spent. Then, crawling to where Juana lay wrapped in her cloak, Otter poured some of the native spirit down her throat, while Leonard rubbed her hands. Presently this effort produced its effect, for she sat up with a start, and seeing the ice before her began to shriek, saying, Take me away! I can't do it, Leonard! Indeed I can't! All right, dear, he answered. You have done it. We are over. Oh, she said, I am thankful. But where is Soa? I thought that I heard her throw herself down behind us. Soa is dead, he answered. She fell down the gulf and nearly pulled us with her. I will tell you all about it afterwards. You are not fit to hear it now. Come, dear, let us be going out of this accursed place. Juana staggered to her feet. I am so stiff and sore I can hardly stand, she said. But, Leonard, what is the matter with you? You are covered with blood. I will tell you afterwards, he replied again. Then Otter collected their baggage, which consisted chiefly of the hide line and the spear, and they crawled forward up the snow slope. Some twenty or thirty yards ahead of them, and almost side by side, lay the two glacier stones on which they had passed the bridge, and near them those which Otter had dispatched as pioneers on the previous morning. They looked at them wondering, who could have believed that these inert things, not an hour before, had been speeding down the icy way quicker than any express train that ever traveled, and they with them? One thing was certain. Did they remain unbroken for another two or three million years, and that is a short life for a stone, they would never again make so strange a journey. Then the three toiled on to the top of the snow slope, which was about four hundred yards away. Look, Bas, said Otter, 
who had turned to gaze a fond farewell at the gulf below. There are people yonder on the further side. He was right. On the far brink of the crevice were the forms of men who seemed to be waving their arms in the air and shouting. But whether these were the priests who, having overcome the resistance of Ulfan, had pursued the fugitives to kill them, or the soldiers of the king who had conquered the priests, the distance would not allow them to see. The fate of Ulfan and the further domestic history of the people of the mist were now sealed books to them, for they never heard any more of these matters, nor are they likely to do so. Then the travelers began to descend from field to field of snow, the great peak above alone remaining to remind them that they were near to the country of the mist. Once they stopped to eat a little of such food as they had with them, and often enough to rest, for their strength was small. Indeed, as they dragged themselves wearily forward, each of the men holding Juana by the hand, Leonard found himself wondering how it came about, putting aside the bodily perils from which they had escaped, that they had survived the exhaustion and the horrors, physical and mental, of the last forty-eight hours. But there they were still alive, though in a sorry plight, and before evening they found themselves below the snow-line in a warm and genial climate. "'I must stop,' said Juana, as the sun began to set. "'I can drag myself no further.' Leonard looked at Otter in despair. "'There is a big tree yonder, Bas,' said the dwarf with an attempt at cheerfulness. "'And water by it. It is a good place to camp, and here the air is warm. We shall not suffer from the cold.' "'Nay, we are lucky indeed. Think how we passed last night.' They reached the tree, and Juana sank down half-fainting against its bowl. With difficulty, Leonard persuaded her to swallow a little meat and a mouthful of spirit, and then, to his relief, she relapsed into a condition which partook more of the nature of stupor than of sleep. Oh my goodness, I can't believe they could even walk or crawl or whatever they were doing, helping Juana along. Those guys are stand-up warrior types. What endurance. And how about when Leonard felt something latch onto his ankle and it's Soa who's nuts. And also think of what that ice must have been doing to her. Oh, as she's being pulled along. But I swear, I was ready for that stone to go over the edge any second and them to wind up on some little ledge that no one had seen or something like that. And then, speaking of going over the edge, I really thought that when Otter looked over the edge after Nam, that he would see him somewhere that they could retrieve those jewels. I was kind of like Juana going, the jewels, oh no, what are you going to do? That was the whole point of everything. I like Leonard, really just not going there, you know? Oh, well, Juana, these are the breaks. Here we go. And the other thing that was interesting was the way that Otter and Leonard looked at it versus the way Nam looked at it. Nam said, I will give it all up. How about that? You can't have these. Whereas he had the same valuation of Leonard that Soa did all along, which is, you will sell your soul for anything, won't you? And it was just two completely different points of view. Well, at the beginning, he should have wanted to save Juana no matter what. That way long ago. But Nam still looks at it that way. And it's completely different than the way Leonard looks at it because he doesn't view those jewels the same way that Nam does. I don't know. It's just kind of interesting mulling it all over. But how about that ride on the ice? Oh my gosh, just so exciting. And then, oh, you don't want to slide back down, but there's no way for you to get up. Wow. Oh, Otter, Otter, what would anyone have done without you? They'd have been in a pretty pickle. Well, they were in a pretty pickle anyway. I rather envy Juana, who had the good sense to faint at the beginning, and <laughs> just not worry about any of it. So, they have escaped. We have no resources. We have no money. I do seem to recall a horrific journey there 
with not a lot of the land to live off of, even if they did have more than a couple of big spears. And we'll never know if Ulfan and his gang won or if the priests won. You are allowed to choose for yourself. I'm going to say it's Ulfan because that's who I wanted. There's no telling, of course. (laughs) And I I think that's kind of interesting that he just kind of left that for us to decide. We will wrap this up next week. It may be a bit of a long episode. I'm not sure. There's a final chapter and then a sort of an afterward, which is pretty lengthy. But all very good. Some more great stuff coming up. Now, in other podcasting news, Craftlet, Heather Ordover's wonderful podcast, has a premium feed that has just finished up Bleak House and is going to be featuring some Sherlock Holmes stories. I told you some time ago about how much I enjoyed the Derek Jacobi readings, which you do have to pay for somewhere, Audible or buying the CDs or whatever. But Heather has a listener who's a wonderful narrator. He's British, and he was one of the narrators for Dracula when she covered that. And if you've heard that, you know who I'm talking about. And so that will be a wonderful feature. The Classic Tales podcast, which I've also mentioned many a time, has just begun The Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells. I'm of two minds here. I'm You know, I like H.G. Wells, but The Island of Dr. Moreau has always struck me as particularly creepy and horrible. I don't know, just these men, animal, animal men, mixing animals, whatever it is they're doing there. I find it particularly distasteful, though I find it hard to resist B.J. Harrison. On A Good Story is Hard to Find... Scott Danielson and I will be discussing one of my favorite mystery authors, Emma Lathan, who very few people seem to have heard of these days, and it's a real shame because she had kind of a unique niche, a Wall Street banker whose world-class banks' various venturings would always bring him into contact with murder. So you wound up looking at a whole lot of different businesses. And that sounds really dry, but I really enjoyed them. And they were hugely popular for a long time. I think three different books won various awards, or at least were nominated for various awards. So that will be out this week. And I could have sworn I had more things to talk to you about, but I guess that's it. Those are some wonderful things to listen to, I would say. Now, if you have any suggestions for future reading and any other podcast news or just anything and want to let me know about it, you can contact me at julie, J-U-L-I-E, at glyphnet, G-L-Y-P-H-N-E-T dot com. Or go to the blog for the podcast and leave a comment, hcforgottenclassics.blogspot.com. Or leave me a review at iTunes. That has nothing to do with anything except if you like the podcast. But I always like to see those, you know. Let's see, what else? Well, around here, you know, we just have not had the brutal summers we usually have. And I am so grateful. We had a cold front come in over the weekend. And that meant it was in the 90s. We are supposed to have another cold front with some rain coming in later this week, and that means it's going to be in the 80s. I mean to say, for the second week of September, that's really unheard of. Plus, we had rain earlier this week, also really unheard of. So I'm really enjoying the weather. I really wish the mosquitoes were not enjoying it as much as I am. So I'm constantly going around smelling like mosquito repellent. What an attractive image, right? But it's that or get eaten alive. And other than that, you know, it's just regular life around here, which is good, as I've said before. In October, we will be going to visit my mother, my oldest daughter and I, and watch scary movies with her. So I'm going through the pain and agony of buying those tickets and car rental and all that stuff online and it is I would say fairly brutal I would love for the old-fashioned days of the travel agent to come back 
I hate these websites. I hate these reward programs. And they all like to crash your browsers and make you go here and there and not deliver you back to the same window. This new age we're in is not as convenient as everybody likes to make it sound. And now that that's been said, the last thing I have to say is thank you very much for coming by. I would not have read this book out loud otherwise, and I have enjoyed the heck out of it, as you could probably tell. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.